Great morning, everyone, and welcome to Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini, the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University class of 1985. My great pleasure to be back with you again today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as how to utilize information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and the resulting outcomes. And one of the goals of our show, thank God, for Monday is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. Now, this is a very special time. It's Veterans Day is just next week, November 11th. And as such, we are honored today not only to have one, but two very special guests. The first is Dr. Christian N. Sabo. Dr. Christian is an Awami veteran, nationally recognized leader, award-winning psychologist, public speaker, and strategist. Our second guest, Dr. Nathan D. Ainsman. Dr. Nathan has researched, written, and spoken extensively about military-civilian transition and veterans-civilian employment. And both of them are co-authors of this great book, Military Veteran Employment, A Guide for Data-Driven Leaders. Hello and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Dr. Christian and Dr. Nathan. Good morning. Hi, good morning to you. It's great to be here. The honor is all ours. Sadly, we've only got about 30 minutes, so it's okay. We're going to jump right into the deep end of the pool. Let's do it. You both have amazing backgrounds. Kindly share with us about your backgrounds, please, and how you came to put this great book together. Nate, I'll let you start. I'll go first. Um, We're both industrial organizational psychologists, and... um, uh, I've done a lot of work. This was a passion project that I started about 10 years ago and then I was introduced to my mentor who is a clinician at the VA and worked on the psychosocial benefits of employment. Um, I met up with him, got involved with him. We did a lot of work together and I extended his work uh, to the HR, the human resources side. Uh, I've since written and edited books and done presentations and then also is able to get a job with the Department of Defense, with the office that handles the transition process for the military-civilian transition process. And that's me in a nutshell. I'm going to pick it up from there. I think um, Nate hit the nail on the head there. This is really kind of a story of friendship and mentorship, ultimately. Um, Nate's mentor set him on this path, and then Nate has equally mentored me and been a friend to myself. Um, when I was just finishing up my PhD, Nate and I crossed paths as we both had mutual interests in veterans' transition from the perspective of organizational psychology, which is the study of people at work, um, very broadly speaking. 
And so in that, we found an opportunity to build out an entire volunteer effort of industrial organizational psychologists to provide expertise around the topic of veterans employment and veterans transitioning. Um, being experts in the workplace, it makes sense that we would have some best practices that are science-based and informed to share with the larger population as they're going through this process, along with military family members who also go through similar transition and employment um, challenges. And so in that, we were able to meet back about a decade ago, and we've been building out um, volunteer efforts ever since serving the community. And out of those efforts as well came the inception of this book, of starting to put that knowledge on paper and share it with a wider audience um, so that we could really promote things that we know work, as opposed to so often the things that people advise on that maybe aren't actually informed by evidence. You know, you go to a doctor and you'd much prefer that they base their decisions on evidence, not just what they felt like that day. Um, And so we equally would much prefer people are basing their decisions and best practices and how they engage people and people experience the workplace based upon science. Um, And so that's really what this book does specific to the veterans and military community, but certainly includes many best practices that apply to everybody at work. We are so blessed to have two people of your ilk today on, thank God, for Monday. As I said in the opening, this is an incredible book, Military Veteran Employment, A Guide for the Data-Driven Leader. Who are some of the book's contributors, and how did you select them? How were they chosen to be in this wonderful book? Uh, we have a combination in many chapters of an industrial organizational psychologist, which, as Kristen said, is a person that has conducted research and studies these psychology in the workplace. Um, many of the chapters are also partnered with an actual veteran. So we get both the research perspective, the literature reviews that are conducted, and then someone who's actually been literally in the trenches uh, to describe the experiences. Um, we went through the network of people that we know. Uh, to find the people who we thought would really be the ones who could comment well on uh, the specific chapter on a specific to- topic that they're working on. Uh, and many times there were veterans who have IO backgrounds, the industrial organizational backgrounds, who wrote the chapters. It was really to get the, the, the authors who knew the topic inside and out, particularly from the research um, so they could, rather than just call out what companies were doing, what the best practices are, to really offer the science-based, the data-based um, recommendations of what companies and what individuals could do um, based on you know what the science of what we know about um, motivation in the workforce, corporate cultures, et cetera. And I think what's so exciting about several of the book's chapters, um, some of them are people who are well well-informed in terms of the veteran space itself. And others are quite literally the foremost international expert on a topic who happens to have been introduced to the veterans and military space through some of their work. And so bringing together both of those perspectives is just so, so valuable in terms of really opening up the conversation of who's part of the conversation. So often, I think in this space, it's almost like an echo chamber where we're speaking to other people who are also already interested but really the audience we need to be reaching are those that haven't had as much exposure perhaps, right? That senior executive at a company or the HR professional or the veteran themselves, right? Or the family member that's supporting them or going to transition them themselves. And so that's something we were very intent on doing as we very strategically selected 
chapter authors is to not make sure that they not only were the expert, right? So I'm thinking of like our chapter on mentoring is written by quite literally one of the foremost experts on mentoring um, in terms of research and practice, but also then applying that to that military population and, and having that kind of duality of like, you are a person and you're also a veteran. Um, those two things can coexist, but you're also still fundamentally a person and, and these principles apply to everyone as well. There's no doubt in my mind that your selection process was very strategic and very intentional. I mean, that rings through in the reading, no doubt about that. Now, veterans bring so much to the workplace, but team, help us out. What are some of the unique characteristics that veterans bring to the workplace? The biggest one that we see is a mission, a life dedicated to mission and sense of purpose. Um, the military right now is a volunteer force. We no longer have the draft. And almost to the man and woman that you see in the services and in the, in the veteran population is these are people who voluntarily lifted their hand and took the oath because they wanted to be part of something that was bigger than them. Um, a lot of selflessness is what you see. People who are willing to put their lives on hold and potentially on the line for the rest of us for some greater good. Um, it, it's hard to generalize about veterans. The, the line is if you've met one veteran, you've met one veteran because they come in all shapes and sizes. Wow. Um, it's hard. We try not to, especially for employment, that you're not going to get a veteran who is this. But it is fairly accurate to say that these are people who took this on because they wanted something bigger in their lives and want to dedicate themselves to something, which becomes a difficult it can become a difficulty with the transition process because they can't turn this off when they join the civilian world. And we highly recommend that the the military member look for a job that can provide some sense of purpose and mission to continue the life that they've had. If they don't get it in employment, um, it's almost necessary that they find it in some other avenue. It could be in their house of worship. It could be in a, in a volunteer group. But the, the sense of direction and purpose you see in this population is almost off the charts. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, being an HR leader, in addition to the work I do beyond my day job, if you will, um, I, I do actually lead veterans and military efforts internal to a Fortune 50 company, right? And that's given me a really nice vantage point into how people think um, about veterans when they come in, not just what the veteran is thinking. And one thing that we do want to kind of footstomp is Nate's very point there, right? One veteran is just one veteran. Um, we're all individuals in terms of what we're bringing. And, and some people want to go and make money, right? And other people want to go find a, a job that's giving back and might not make as much money. And so everyone's motivated in these different ways. One thing we do see in terms of the research is veterans do, um, generally speaking, right? Research is speaking to like, the generalities of the majority. But um, we do find that they tend to have higher mental agility. They're very used to like changing um, their plans very quickly to achieve the mission or the outcome. So they're very outcome driven. They can become very focused in that way for better or worse. Um, we initially thought veterans actually tended to stick in their first job post transition for a shorter period of time than most civilians. But what we're actually finding now is once they're there about one, two years, they'll stay longer. And so from an employer's perspective, that's huge because attrition costs a lot of money at companies. Um, 
and time, right? It's not just money. It's also time. It's also about building that team. And when people change out, the team changes. And so finding people who are going to be committed and loyal to that company, whatever it is, is actually quite important. We also find that um, veterans tend to promote faster than others. Part of it might just be that they go in at a slightly lower level because they're shifting careers, essentially. And so they have to kind of rebuild their career in a new sector at times. Um, so they tend to promote faster because they have leadership and other what we call soft skills in a way that you might not see in their civilian counterparts. And that's because they've gone through potentially years of training and leadership that's focused on leadership alone. I talk to my civilian colleagues and I'll tell them, like, I literally was sent away for four months to learn about being a leader for the next rank. And they look at me like, are you kidding me? Like, we barely can get away for a week for a course on leadership. So there's a pretty big discrepancy in terms of how different types of skills and competencies are built between the military and the civilian world. It translates into different experiences of what people bring into play um, at, in the workplace. So I think those are things that are important to note. Again, generality. So you have to keep in mind, everyone's going to be an individual. But I think for the most part, that military culture supersedes so many other elements of what people bring to work that you can anticipate that people are going to have those types of exposures in terms of what they bring forward. What you both said really resonated with me. I had a 30-year career in pharmaceuticals before becoming a Franciscan brother. And when someone left the team, we used to say people walk out the door or knowledge walks out the door with them a lot faster than walks in the door. It was very disruptive. So as you say, that loyalty, stem and staying for a longer period of time is a win-win all the way around. Now, I'm assuming there are some misconceptions about hiring veterans. Maybe you can share a few of these with us, please. I mean, one is the Rambo model that veterans have PTSD because of what they saw and what they did overseas. Um, some people still have that misperception. If you look at the data, about 30 to 35% of veterans have PTSD. Um, if you look into the civilian population, about 25 to 30% of people have PTSD. That could come from a car accident, um, some trauma that they may experience at home. So we're not looking at you know, a mentally unstable population um, that, you know, that we've gotten better that fewer people see that. But I think that misperception still can persist out there um, professionally and career wise. What we're seeing is many companies don't see the value of what a veteran has done and will pigeonhole the career that they did. The one that we always see all the time is for an infantryman. Um, they think they should become a police officer because, you know, guns. And to Kristen's oh. point, yeah, it, it, we it, it may we still see a lot of that they don't fully appreciate that infantryman was not just running around with a gun. To Kristen's point, they received leadership training. They learned how to operationalize. They learned how to do budgets. Um, the transferable skills that are out there that we did research on, and it's enormous to see what a 21-year-old veteran who's leaving after only a few years of service has accomplished compared to a 21-year-old who's just getting out of college. Um, in addition, the veterans we find are very quick learners. Out of necessity, you're given possibly a day to come up to speed on something in the military, and you do that. So we are working with the employers to help them to broaden their aperture of what military members um, can do in your company. And don't just think because they did X, they can do X for you. Yeah, I think... Um... Also, there's other stereotypes that follow veterans um, in terms of what personality set they might be, that they're going to be rigid, 
they're going to be um, not able to be relationship oriented, that they're only task oriented, um, that they're, they're not going to be creative in their thinking. And, and what we actually find is that veterans are incredibly creative. They might be given a mission and told to get here at this point in time, but how they get there is oftentimes up to them. Um, and so whether it be a veteran and entrepreneurial situation, which veterans, especially if you actually look at post-World War II, for instance, which was the most recent, I would say, actually large influx of veterans in the workforce um, due to, in part, you know, forced through the draft. But you actually see that most entrepreneurs were veterans. Um, you see the majority were. And so it's actually really interesting when we look at personality sets and assumptions about what veterans are, because we find that those are oftentimes myths. Or misunderstood. Um, they're also going to be really good at working in hierarchy because they're used to working in a large hierarchy, even if it means still getting it done with limited resources, right? So a lot of these myths, it's really about utilizing them to your advantage, right? With, it, with any adversity that you're given, it's always about how do you utilize it to your advantage as opposed to let it bring you down. And I think equally, yes, veterans have some things that they have to overcome in terms of stereotypes um, and myths about them, such as the broken veteran. I think we've, over the last decade, been able to overcome some of that stereotype, but it still persists. And the reality is, is, you know, mental health rates for veterans are honestly, when you look at the larger population, no different. They're on par, if not healthier, honestly, because veterans receive specific training about how to be resilient and cope with stress. Um, and so I think that there's a lot of pieces of that puzzle, if you will, that sometimes we miss in terms of bridging what we call a military-civilian divide or gap um, of understanding between the cultures. Because we might say one thing because it's the news clip that we see, but the reality is there's a whole other story to that, right? It's the iceberg analogy of you just see the tip of the top of the iceberg and you don't see all those things that come with it underneath. And so we always like to encourage, you know, stereotypes come from somewhere. You have to acknowledge that. Um, but equally there's other components to that that are informing it that sometimes get lost. Well, thank you both for so wonderfully debunking these myths that I know I had, and I'm sure others as well. Now have a two-part question, which is very much related. I believe, how is the current job market looking for veterans? Are there good opportunities out there or should there really be more? Yeah. So um, I'm on mute. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> over the last decade, there's been a lot of work done at a strategic and national policy level to enable veterans employment to improve. And so that has resulted in veterans employment being significantly higher, two to three times higher than the national average for like demographics. But in the last three years, veterans actually are faring better. So we find that their employment rate, unemployment rates rather, are slightly lower than the national average across the country. Conversely, though, we do want to point out when we talk about military family members, though. So military spouses consistently have rates of unemployment five times that of a comparable population in the United States. And over 50 percent of them will report that they're underemployed, meaning that they're not employed to their fullest. So when we talk about employment, we also need to talk about what's underemployment, right? Which is a bit of a harder statistic to track because that requires we talk to people. Um, and so we do have to talk about that whole family unit, I think, in this conversation, not just about the veteran. Um, the veteran still needs the job and they need a job that fits them. Oftentimes they are underemployed or underutilized because they are changing sectors. So just like someone who might be in sales and then jumps over to a technical position, they might have to kind of step back a moment before they get back to the same level they were at. We, we find the same with veterans and that can be very frustrating. 
And and to echo her comment, for underemployment, it is the bigger issue because I've been tracking the employment, the unemployment numbers for a number of years. In 2011, we were looking at like 17% unemployment. Most recently, I've never seen it creep above 5%, and it's usually been like 3%, and that was including during the pandemic. I just saw the data during the pandemic, and I was prepared to see the paper bleed. Um, it still, the veteran unemployment rate was still far below um, the non-veteran rate and did not creep wow. up into the high ranges. And that's testimony to a lot of the companies are seeing the value of the veterans. But to Kristen's point, the underemployment is the the big issue that we want to address now because we're seeing, uh, one, the employers see a veteran who is infantry and think, you you know, you can't do this job. Two, the veteran themselves frequently don't realize the value of the skills they have. Um, they're, it's, I equate it to a fish trying to see the water in its bowl. If you're a military member, you know, you show up early to every meeting fully prepared every day and everyone else around you is there. I learned the hard way working in the military. If you're there at nine o'clock for a nine o'clock meeting, you're late. Um, So everyone does is everyone has these amazing leadership and communication skills. When you're in a class, every member, every student in the class has to lead a session um, in the course of the, in the course of that semester. So you immediately get that leadership and organizational skills. They undersell themselves frequently because they just don't realize how highly valued these skills are. And thus they don't know what they're capable of reaching for and what types of positions they can try for, what kinds of levels they can try for. Um, so it's, it's a mismatch and underutilization. Also military spouses as well. Um, because we look at military families and military spouses frequently will have to relocate um, as their partner gets reassigned to different places. Um, they take time off to cope with a family member. Um, so they have skills that don't show up on a typical resume uh, to be seen by a typical hiring manager who may see gaps and miss a, 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 a attribute uh, the reason why they weren't working. So it's really getting both sides to understand and read um, the skills and uh, what's needed in the workplace and how they can do that. It's just amazing the skills that veterans receive. And as you say, it probably becomes almost second nature to them, very easy not to realize all that they can accomplish with all the greatness inside of them, no doubt about it. I think I know the answer to this next question, but I have to ask it anyhow. This great book of yours, Military Veteran Employment, A Guide for the Data-Driven Leader. Did you gear it toward large organizations, small organizations, both? Who's your typical audience here? Who do you want to really reach here? We made a, a distinct effort to have it apply to all, corp- or all types of organizations, um, particularly because for a large organization, it's very easy for them to set up a veteran hiring unit. Uh, to hire a veteran to run the, you know, the Department of Hiring Veterans and to have the expertise there. But we know there, the, the growth for hiring comes among the small businesses. Uh, and that's where we could really do the most damage in hitting the underemployment, unemployment number. Uh, and a lot of other advice, as Kristen was saying, is really best practices that you'll see, um, material that says, well, Walmart does this for its employment practices which is great if you're a company of like 1.5 million people, you can use Walmart as your model. But if you're a plumbing company that has 30 people, you may be a bit more restricted, but it's that one plumbing company that 
if they hire one or two veterans and if this happens across thousands of companies, you can really see the effect. So we made a point to get away from we um, here's the best practices of these huge companies. We do include those to offer examples, but the real intent was here's what the research says about the psychology of trying to integrate a military and a civilian culture. Because if that one hiring manager in that one company can get that, then they can move forward and hire for their company. It's really interesting because it makes so much great sense to hire veterans. Hiring them naturally is one thing, but if I perceive correctly, both of you have done some research about training them and bringing them into a company culture, if you will. Share with us about this, please. Yeah, and I think I appreciate that question so much because the goal is actually not hiring someone. The goal is retaining them, right? It's about creating a meaningful work experience for an individual in the workplace that that brings them joy, that brings them well-being, right? Um, that brings them a paycheck. So the goal is about retaining someone and about what that experience looks like across the board through mentoring, through leadership, through the opportunities that they're given. Um, so often the conversation is focused on hiring, right? Because that feels like the solution, get them in the door. But ultimately the solution is actually retaining them. And you do that through the same, using the same techniques that you do with any other employee, right? Of treating them well, meeting them where they're at giving them the compensation and benefits that meets what they actually need versus what you think that they need, which requires you hearing their voice, right? Giving employees voice and understanding that. Now, veterans might need some things that are a little bit different from some other individuals, particularly if it's a retiree, for instance, um, or a military spouse, because they might have all of their health care taken care of through the military still. So I know when I'm going to look for a job, they'll, you know, dangle healthcare in front of me. And I'm like looking at them going, I don't care. I, I have other healthcare that I'm actually going to keep using that's cheaper for me to use. So that's not going to be the thing that gets me in the door. The things that get me in the door though, might look a little bit differently. Like what's the, what's the mission and purpose that you're allowing me to achieve? What's how quickly can I advance? Because I feel that I know that I've had these other great experiences. And so you really need to understand that value proposition for the veteran, um, which might be different from what the value proposition is for other employment groups that you're targeting. And as part of the value proposition is the economic argument for bringing the veterans on board. Um, from the government side, every veteran that's not working uh, gets paid out a special kind of unemployment insurance. And that gets billed directly to the Department of Defense. So um, about 10 years ago, it was $1 billion a year that had to go out in unemployment insurance. And that was money that DOD could not use for uh, missiles, bombs, training of its members. It just had to pay out the unemployment. So every company that hires a veteran um, reduces that amount of money that DOD has to pay. Plus, now the veteran is contributing tax dollars as part of their salary. And also, um, a veteran who's just sitting at home unemployed watching TV is a waste of the training dollars that were spent on that member. And that's why we push in the book the idea of, you know, look at the return on investment of how much is it worth to have someone like Kristen who did a month of leadership training come in and you just got that at no cost. Absolutely amazing. No doubt about that. What these veterans have bring to the table, certainly. Now, time and fortune is getting short. I still have two very, very important questions to ask. 
what are some of the best resources available for employers and or veterans looking for work? Um, you mean besides our book? Absolutely. I'm sorry. I should have prefaced with that. Yes. <laughs> um, for both employers and the veterans, <clears throat> the Department of Labor runs the American Job Centers um, called AJCs, and they're available in every community in every state across the country. And these were known as the employment offices. So uh, every center will have at least one veteran um, specialist who understands if you come in and say, I've got an MOC of this, they'd like, oh, got ya. Um, and they're there to help the individual with their resume, with interviewing skills. Um, they do a lot of remarkable work. Someone did research to look at if you went onto the private market to do all these services, do your resume, get counseling, you could spend thousands of dollars. Wow. And you get it all for free. Okay. Um, and then conversely, the employers could go to these AJCs um, to talk to that veteran hiring person to get advice on how do I hire veterans. We've saved the most important question for last. And where can our loyal listeners purchase military veteran employment, a guide to the data-driven leader? How can they best follow you? The book is available at your online bookstore, um, regular bookstores as well. Uh, it can also be ordered directly from the publisher. So there's Which no is Oxford ex- University Press. Okay, terrific. No oh, excuse. Yeah. Listeners, I really recommend you uh, pick up at least one copy of this great book. Uh, It is holiday time. Uh, It is a great time to be giving this as a gift to somebody, uh, someone who's in a hiring capacity, and just people in general, because for everyone, uh, we need to be much more aware of what's going on with our veterans. Once they come back, they've served us so well, we need to do our part in taking care of them. Dr. Christian N. Sabo, Dr. Nathan D. Span, thank you so much for being here. I thank God for Monday today. Uh, you've inspired us. You've enlightened us. You've really helped us in the celebration of uh, Veterans Day coming up next week. We wish you continued joy, happiness, and success in all this great work that you're doing. We really appreciate your contribution. Uh, Dr. Christian, we thank you for your service to our country as well as uh, Dr. Nathan. And... Uh, We wish all veterans out there a very, very blessed uh, Veterans Day. We'll be praying for you. And thank you again for all your great service. But Dr. Nathan, Dr. thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great. Listeners, sadly, once again, we're out of time. Greg's saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Dr. Nathan and Dr. Christian do, you'll say, thank God for Monday.